The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Welcome to TOEFOP. I'm Charlie Clawson. Uh, I'm Will Anderson. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. This is a very special episode. Um, we have a guest with us. Yes, that's true. And it's fair to say that uh, if it wasn't for this guest, TOEFOP would never have been, but literally would never have been. I mean, it's rare that we get to say that about anyone, apart from us. Yes. Apart from the two of us. <laughs> and in fact, it went on without you. So, oh, and you did an episode without me. That's so right. So this is actually the only person without whom it would not exist. That's right. That's right. Uh, we'd welcome to the show my mother, Eileen Clawson. Hi. I had no idea what I was going to begin <laughs> That was a good start. That's that a good was okay. start. We never have any idea what we're going to be giving it, with either, it, so you're right on topic. It, it took us 87 episodes to work out what our show was as well. Right. You also had to watch me for about 15 minutes try to plug in the microphones and get them to work. Yes, it made me feel quite at home. Right. <laughs> so we're sitting here at my mum's place in Melbourne, um, overlooking the beautiful glassy bay. Um, and we sort of only had this idea for this episode a couple of nights ago where I said I was going to be catching up with my mum. Will's like, well, why don't we get her on the show? Seeing as you are literally a big part of the show, you're mm-hmm. one half of the, uh, the origin story of TOEFOP. Um, so there's no agenda here. No. It's just a friendly space. Yep. Feel quite friendly. Good. Okay. So tell us, who do you hate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, put your, uh, put your kids in order. Who do you like them from first to last? <laughs> you children. Oh, they're all gorgeous. Yeah. Gorgeous. But who's the most gorgeous? Well, I have to say Charlie, seeing he's got the... He's an inch from my face. Right. <laughs> and might punch me. We're showing a microphone. He's the We're baby too as well, though, right? He's the baby. Yeah, but I don't think he got preference. I don't think anyone – I think you're actually quite good at – my impression is that you're quite good at sharing the love. I, don't, I never noticed any preference with any of the siblings. Well, you wouldn't, but the others probably did. <laughs> Why do you think by the time you got to me – What do I think, what? Do you think by the time you got to me that maybe I was getting spoiled? No, you weren't spoiled. Ignored, I would have thought, by that time, right? I was just less tough on you. Right. Yeah, you weren't – all right, that we, we should clarify what that means. You weren't tough on me at all. Like I always say, my friends, when we would go out when we were, say, 15 or 16, you know, you'd go, to, you'd go out to someone's house and you'd all have to call, you know, your parents when you got right. there. My rule, from mum's rule, is yeah. don't call me. Only call me if you get in trouble. Right. <laughs> Consequently, I never had to call her ever. No, you didn't, which is good because I got a good night's sleep. Yeah, and it also taught me responsibility, right? Yes. And there was also the fact that you didn't have to go pick me up from anywhere. <laughs> Oh, yes, you're right there too. It did also mean that if she ever did have to come and pick you up from somewhere, it was going to be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, for those who don't know, for those who are listening for the first time, maybe some people have tuned in for the first time to this podcast, uh, talk uh, the listeners through, Charlie, how many kids are in your family. Okay. so That's important. So, so there, are, there are nine kids of which I'm the youngest. So my elder sister is 18 years older than me. Mm, I think so, yeah. That's right. 
And so, uh, yeah, and there's uh, there's five, uh, six girl, uh, th- six, three boys. I couldn't even remember. <laughs> I'm relying my 80 year old mother to remember that for me. Yeah, that's right. There's uh, six girls and three boys. And I, I, the, there's a big gap though between the boy, like there's Jamie and Matthew at the top end, and then oh, there's yes. like, yeah, and then there's like four girls, and then there's me. So I pretty much grew up in an all girl household, right? Yes, and they kept you under control. Definitely, Miranda put a big basket chair over you to keep you quiet and sat on it. That's right. Yeah. Hang on, what happened? Yeah. We had this... Um, <laughs> we had this. <laughs> okay, it's getting juicy already. That's good. <laughs> it was a cane lounge. Yeah. A two-seater cane lounge. Yeah. So it, had a, so it was, a, it was a, a, a base that was like a, um, uh, like a circular cane, cane base, yeah. right? Yeah. And then on top of that, you'd put the, 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 cushion, the seat, the, the thing that holds the, the cushions. Right. So my sister Miranda. Well, you're watching TV and you're being obstreperous, and she couldn't. Hear what? Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, Egghead. Come on, Einstein. What is obstreperous? This is a mean? podcast. Oh, right. This isn't QI. Obstreperous. <laughs> <laughs> now you see where I get it from. You're being a little bit annoying. Yes. Yes, as and was my so want. She got you and put you on the floor, put the basket over you, and sat on the basket to keep you quiet. So right. essentially, if you've seen Deer you Hunter, spent the first couple of years of your life <laughs> in a Thai prison. Or yeah, something. exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it was like. But uh, then there was another. Then she waterboarded you for a couple of years. <laughs> then there was that other time. Do you remember that you and Dad went out and um, you ca- uh, someone came around like Sophie's friend to babysit or something, and she found me hiding up a tree outside the house. And it's because Miranda had chased me out of the house, throwing bricks at me. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Oh really? No. Yeah, yeah. I spent an entire night in a tree outside the house. <laughs> It was a, it was a little hut tree house. Wasn't yeah, it? no, 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 that, not, not that one. Not the one in the oh. backyard. The the one actually, literally on on the nature strip. Oh wow! Yeah, tell me about this because I'm I'm interested because obviously nine kids is. Did you uh, set out that you would like? Did you ever imagine you would have a family as big as nine kids? I certainly didn't plan it. No, no. But I was thinking about that, and uh, I knew like we could afford it, and I was healthy. If, I, if we had lot, not neither of those things, maybe I would have done something about it. But So they just came along and it was good. But that was fairly common for Catholics, right? Oh, yes. At, uh, at your school, there were many families of six, eight yeah. and 12 children. 12? Yeah, I yeah. know. Did the but, people with 12 look at you with nine and just go, come on, you're not even <laughs> yeah. trying. Nine, we've got a cricket team. You've got a rugby seven side and a couple of stars. Just, stairs. you can do AFL nines, that's it. <laughs> yeah, well, I beat the family in our street much Oh, they chagrin. I'm not allowed to use those no, words. No, no, chagrin's fine. I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> because they only had eight. It's just extrapious or whatever the fuck. And, and when I was pregnant with you, so they, they got a dog and they called it Lucy, which was my youngest child. Who's this? This the is the Quins. The Quins, the Quins, the Quins right, had yeah, eight. And then I was expecting a ninth, so they got a dog and called <laughs> it after my youngest daughter. <laughs> those sons of bitches. That is a real slap in the face, isn't it? When you know that the family in your street have just had a, a daughter and they've got a Lucy and then you get a dog and give it the same name. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. So did you ever, I mean, that's an interesting challenge though, like I would imagine, because these days, like the idea of having nine kids, like people don't. Seems impossible. Right. It seems impossible to me to the idea of having like a kid and being, being able to do what I, it is that I'm doing. Like nine, how do you even like keep track of nine kids at the same time? Oh, well, you don't, but I was right. all. <laughs> But I was lucky because we were reasonably well off. I had a lot of help in the house. I had daily help. I had live-in help. I even had a cook for two years. But when, oh. you, when you say we were well off, we were well this off. This is the story that uh, Charlie's been telling. Charlie's been something like from the, the main streets of Bel-Air. Brighton. But it's, it's more like I remember you saying to 
uh, me that we could have been rich if you'd stopped at two kids. Yeah. Right. But we had enough money <laughs> to pay for the kids to go to school and wear clothes and stuff. Yeah, but we used it all up by the time you, yeah. you, you, you go to school. <laughs> Great. Right. Yeah, your friend's got a boat, you got a brother. Yeah. That's yeah. how it works. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> Would have preferred the boat or a jet no, ski. No, you are the boat. Am I? Ah. Oh. Because you're oh, the last yeah, one. Yeah, that's right. But you don't get a choice. There was nothing after you. Yeah. You were the boat. Every that's Christmas. why Miranda was throwing bricks at you, because she wanted a boat. <laughs> Every Christmas we'd gather around and hope that mum and my dad would just get a jet ski, and it's like, no, there's another kid. <laughs> another kid. God damn it. No, I had to get a cook instead. Yeah, we well, did. We had a cook, but, but, but didn't dad, wasn't there a thing that, um, dad sort of trying to save money, he would hire the help from like, uh, like what do you call those? Like shelters or? Uh, Marillac House. Yeah, where these house women. <laughs> well, hang on, what was it? <laughs> what can you say? <laughs> God, what was it? Did you... Politically incorrect that was. <laughs> Did you just say retarded girls? Yeah. Right, that was, okay. But yeah. it was a scheme to help it was people find job placements of well, some kind, was it? Retard means to hold back. Yes. So they were held back. Yeah, yeah. but, that, but I don't that, think your mum's saying it in the same way as the young uh, people of today. So. No, no, because I don't. Re- I don't. Retard. I don't. I, I don't remember them being re-rees, but they definitely all of them were a little bit special. Like they, they all right. had just a little bit of something going on. Like yes, just a little bit something behind the brain. It was like something weird is is going on there. And because there was one who was a real man hater. Do you remember her? There's that oh, cook. Jenny. Yes! <laughs> Even as a three-year-old, I was getting, like, indoctrinated. Scary. Oh, and Martha, too. Oh, which one was Martha? She was scary. I think she put a cat in an oven once. Oh! Not our cat. <laughs> it was a story I heard about. So you hired a woman who had cooked a cat. Like, I mean, did that... But she made it taste delicious, Charlie. What, uh, that was can, the, can you just take us... That's what the, got him across the line. Take us to the discussion between you and Dad when you're going through her CV and you're like, well, she's uh, got a high school degree, that's good, and she's done some hospitality, and, oh, she served time for uh, cooking a cat. Cooking a cat. <laughs> well, I don't think we knew till she'd been with us for a while and the story was. Right. Yeah, stayed, still don't know if it was true. Till that, they saw that episode of MasterChef where her mystery box had a Siamese kitten <laughs> yeah. in it. <laughs> Yeah, so I came at the tail end of the help, though, because by the time I was in the house, all the older siblings were old enough to start, they were help, the help now. start helping out. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that there were, I have vague memories of like a girl coming around to help prepare breakfast and dinner. But then after when we moved to Head Street, that all went away, right? That kind of lifestyle. Yeah, I don't know who you're talking about now. There was a chick at Dawson Avenue who would make... Ma- Ma- Marie? Mary? Oh, yes. Red cheeks. Yes, yes. She was looking for accommodation because she's doing a course in Melbourne. She was from the country. Oh, she's an au pair. Au pair? No, au pair. Au pair? Yeah. Au pair. An au pair. Yeah. He couldn't afford an au pair, but he went to this other place that had au pairs. Have you got any au pairs that are kind of slightly mentally damaged? We'll take that one. Thank you. Anne Marie. I'd forgotten about her. Anne Marie? Yes. Yeah, she had rosy cheeks. Yes, very rosy. Obviously, made an impression on Charlie. No, she was. She was a very cute, healthy looking country girl. But she, <laughs> she made her wheat bix with water, and that can blew my mind oh, as a kid. Yeah. It was like who mushes up? She wouldn't put any sugar with it or anything. She'd just mush up the wheat in the water and eat it. Right, like a goddamn cave woman. Right, I guess that's because your dad had got her for some sort of prison. <laughs> <laughs> that's why 
she was eating. She was also making a shank out of the toothbrushes. So. Uh, can I ask about, I mean, I don't know if you, even if you thought about this sort of thing at the time. These days, like, people talk about parenting styles and how you will raise your children. And did you have, like, firm ideas and did they change over, like, the, the well, course of the nine kids? They weren't firm. They were desperate. I read Dr. Spock. Smock. Spock. Spock? Yeah, Sp- Spock, I'm pretty sure. Who's the one in tra- Star Trek? Star Trek. Star Trek. Yeah, the, yeah, but that's Mr. Yeah. Spock. Dr. Oh. Spock is actually Dr. a... Yeah. I read that from cover to cover, and he was all about, don't worry, little lady, he'll be all right. Your child's falling out of the high chair, but he'll be all right. So it was all just new calm. A- too new agey. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that but, was probably but you, but you did do... Um, I mean, I know it's not specifically for... Later on, uh, parent Wait. effectiveness training. I don't know. Oh, that. yeah. Well, no, I remember you guys, and we've talked about this on TOEFOP before, but you and Dad did Marriage Encounter, which I know is not specifically child-rearing, but that was I, – I mentioned on the show that when we were kids growing up, I used to think that every house had a dialogue room. Right. <laughs> Do you remember that? Because you and Dad, what, once a day or once a weekend would every go into the – Every day. Yeah. So can you explain what the concept behind the dialogue room was? Well, it was to, inc- to include or increase – communication between married couples so that they would you know solve problems and things the right way and so the way we did that was we'd write about say I didn't like the way your father spoke to you before you left to school so I'd write about what I thought and how I felt about it. and he'd do the same yeah and then we'd take one of the feelings from one of them and discuss the feeling right. and by then everyone was everything was okay and we could then clear-headedly discuss, discuss the problem it. So is the we did that every day. So how did you know what you're both writing about? Did you agree we, that? No, we read each other's. We'd, we'd read each other's letter. Right. Like it was, I'd write a letter to so him. So can you give me an example of just say it was okay? He yelled at me, and you didn't like it before school. What would your letter be like? What would you sort of write down? I'd say, look, I was upset when you yelled at Charlie this morning. Um, I don't think if he needed that to happen. Would have been better, but. I understand, you know, and that's along those lines. But it was mainly about the feeling. So I'd go into what how upset felt, you know. I was right. sort of a bit tearful or I was anxious for him or that sort of thing. So I'd yeah. really... So he would know how you were feeling, how it affected you? Yes, and he would do the same. About the same. Would they take and the topic before he left for work? I mean, that seems like a very old-fashioned idea to, compared to this modern one where we just make things up out of head and blow them out of all proportion. For <laughs> or I, my, my personal philosophy is just to sit on something and yeah. ignore it until it manifests in a completely yeah. different way. Right, yeah. <laughs> then it comes out in something you don't understand. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, I get blind drunk and get behind the wheel of a car or something. That's the way we deal with problems these days. <laughs> it's probably better to be about being than doing. I like, well, I like the idea. I mean... I I can completely see you know the the new age philosophy that that's based on, but I think it actually makes a lot of sense. The mm. the whole thing of writing down it's almost like mm. when you do the pros and cons list when you're sort of feeling like really confused about should I do something, but then when you actually write it down and read it, it's like you get it out of your head and it takes away the kind of um, I don't know the the sort of stress of it or the. Uh, uh, you, I think you, also there must be an advantage to writing down to keeping it to that specific issue. Exactly. Because if you end up having like a fight about like anyone who knows who's had like a fight, if if it gets rolling, mm. then everything else comes in. Yeah, no. And when it's a letter, listening. you can't go. Well, I've got a couple of other notes yeah. about that one other time you didn't <laughs> yeah. do this as well. Yeah, yeah. But the important thing was you get to understand what it's you're standing in the other person's shoes for mm. that incident. Yeah. Yes. Because, all right, so he, I mean, you would say it made me feel this, and then he would say, well, I felt frustrated and ignored. And and then would say, well, which feeling will we go after? And we would go, so he'd describe his frustration. Mm. 
And then that somehow just clears all the emotion right. out of the situation. Then we go back to it. Well, what happened? What did Charlie do? What would have yeah. been a better thing to do? You know, that sort of thing. That, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, described, uh, that, that, that had made the impression on me that he was frustrated a lot. He carried a kind of uh, – he, ca- he carried kind of like a, a sense of kind of yeah, – He's very tense. All the time, right? Um, yeah. When, Except when he's under the shower, and that when he's when he got his most creative ideas under the hot shower. Really? He could relax. Yeah, right. Yeah. But what? But what do you think? What do you? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God bless Australian men. But do you think that where was that something that he always had as a young man, or was that being a dad? No, I just reckon he was born with it. It's just that. Something. I mean, I imagine if I had nine kids, I would be acting stressed and frustrated a lot as but, well. Uh, what about work? Because, I mean, if you ever read those studies, and I always read these studies of, like, the people who have, the, like, the highest levels of stress at their work yeah, or dentists. the people who are dentists, yeah. vets, stand-up comedians. Like, yeah, the, the people like that always make the list. He should never have gone into dentistry. He should have been an academic. Is that right? Yeah. Was that his passion? Academic, yes. Mm. Oh, yes. Academia? He was really good at it. Yeah. Yes. But the war was on and they needed sort of um, medical men, doctors and dentists. So he um, had to do it. But it was the worst. He hated it. I remember Miranda, who's getting quite a mention in this episode. Yeah. Especially yeah. not here. But okay, sure. We'll get her on. For yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's the anniversary of his death tomorrow. Oh, is it tomorrow? When's the 24th? He didn't die on Christmas Eve, did he? Yeah. Or is the 19th? Oh. <laughs> oh, but I could have that wrong. One of you's wrong. I thought it was a few days before. I thought it was a few days before Christmas. His birthday was Christmas Eve. Was the Christmas Eve? No, no one has a funeral Christmas Eve. His birthday. Love your dad. Thinking of you. Can't remember anything about you. Oh, don't ask me any more about it. <laughs> you don't need exact dates. You just over his death, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. Well, you'd, you'd expect after thirty years. Um, what, what, if you don't mind me asking about that, and I won't pry to anything that I don't want to know, but it must be hard when, because he, so how old were you, Charlie, when your dad died? Ten. Ten. Yeah. So you still had a little bit of like. Five kids at yeah. home. Yeah. And I'd never gone out to work. Right. That was the, yeah. I was yeah. scared to look in the letterbox. Well, as. It was mail and I didn't know what it was, insurance things and accounts and. Oh. Well, no, the best thing was, so what, six months after dad died, you invested his oh. life insurance into Pyramid, the building society. Right. Still the, holds a record for the largest financial collapse in Australian history. Right. So not only the, we lose The reason it, it has the high, high level for the highest financial collapse is everybody was investing in it because everyone thought it was a good investment. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I remember looking at the piano thinking, well, we could sell the piano. You'd probably get about $10 for it these days. It is quite amazing, actually. Like, you went back to work yeah. at the age of, what, 50-something, having not 54. having not worked since your early 20s. Yes. That's fucking scary, right? Now, talk me through what the, like, what's your mindset at that time? What sort of job are you looking for? What do you think you can do? Like, I mean, it's, I mean it might be hard to remember that, but I'm no, fascinated by it. Oh, well, I, I suppose I was looking up vacant job vacancies and um, I was sort of like an art teacher because I was always a painter uh-huh. and just for an, an old people's home. So I did that. Oh, yeah. So do you remember some of the stories you told, like the old lady who ate her Play-Doh or the one who stole your Easter basket oh, and hid in the bathtub? Yeah. <laughs> like this place was just like a Full sitcom. Full of people your dad used to hire to look after you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, there were. Yeah. What about that? Must have been an interesting thing, though, working with older people at that time. Did you get any? Had you been around a lot of older people before that? No, actually, there were three degrees. One okay. lot were about well younger than I am now. Oh, and okay. They were all right, 
But there were th- the really old ones you were talking about. There were mm. sort of different levels. Well, they're in like a rehab group. Alzheimer's and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, but I love being at work. Yep. I had no idea how good it was to get out of the house and have a job and go to meetings and things. But the worst part was I'd get home and the dishes hadn't been done and the beds weren't made. And I'm up a tree with big right. bricks being thrown at me. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't work. I was only about a year there. I stopped after a year. Yeah. So somehow we managed. Yeah, well, it was just, we just lived very frugally from that point onward. Well, I mean, considering the area I grew up in and the school that I went to, in comparison to... Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I never felt poor. No. Never felt poor, but I never felt like I could um, snap my fingers and have anything I wanted. No, no, you couldn't buy the car you wanted or anything like that. Or a car. A car. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you couldn't buy the car you wanted, meaning a car. You couldn't also buy any car you didn't want. But you certainly couldn't buy the one you wanted. Well, we bought some bombs, actually. That was a mistake. That's what happens. Hang on. What a, oh, yeah. oh, no. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. uh, if ASIO is listening to this. Listening, uh, I think it should be Meaning cars. automobiles. I, I can't say on radio that you bought bombs oh, anymore. You will, we will oh, go to prison. Oh, I'm totally it's too late for you. No doubt. <laughs> uh, yeah, you made a series of terrible uh, auto lemons. purchases. What about lemons? Yeah, lemons. That's lemons. fine. That, that'll get us through. Um, yeah, you had the Passat. That would never yeah. start. That wouldn't go up a hill. And yeah. we, we the laser. The laser. The, the bright yellow laser that people thought was an RACV, uh, road assistance vehicle. Did you teach Charlie to drive? Yes, I did. To start with, you had lessons afterwards. But remember the car park down uh, in Elwood? I think you teaching me to drive. That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a bit of an exaggeration. You sat in the passenger seat te- tensely grabbing... Grabbing onto things and screaming and hitting the dashboard and yelling for me to slow down. I don't think I was actually taught anything. I well, think that's what teaching people to drive is. That's pretty much the experience of all parents. She didn't teach me to drive. She taught me to slow down. Right. <laughs> but it was good because mum didn't like driving. And so you still don't really like driving. So I kind of, from you know the age of 16 when I got my, uh, my L's, mum was like, I just became her driver. She just let me drive everywhere. So I was driving a lot. Yeah, very fast. What, what was Charlie like? Because we've got Charlie's version of what he was like as a kid. But, like, I mean, you were there. What, what, what was he like, you know, compared to the other kids? Like, you know, when you, when you looked at Charlie, what was kind of individual about him? What did you, what did you think he was going to turn out like? Well, he's a funny little kid and he never stopped talking. He had millions of questions. Right. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Fact, <laughs> I, I wrote a story about him with little <laughs> illustrations <laughs> of, yeah, what are you doing, Dad? Why are you fixing the car, Dad? Da, 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 you know, and this verbal diarrhea. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that was part of it. Um, but, you know, everyone liked you and they got on with you. He was just a nice kid. And I thought very sensible because when you had that party at our place and the police came oh hang on when, when was this? this you were about 16 yeah yeah that's had a about party right. yeah head street yeah. and the police came because i suppose the neighbors were uh-huh. a bit annoyed i don't remember this and you were and said oh hello officer and you sort of spoke in yeah, right. <laughs> an eerie foreshadowing you went out the front there one day i'll <laughs> pretend to be one of you yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> Foreshadowing my days on Blue Healers. I, th- I think. Oh, I did think, well, he'll get by if he knows how to talk to people. Well, what did you want me to be as a career, though? Before I got into this oh. nonsense that I'm doing now, what did you think I was going to be? The Pope. Oh, are you serious? That's right. Mum had <laughs> dreams. Australian Pope. Yeah. Mum had dreams of me becoming a priest and then hopefully the Pope. And I'm so excited about this new Pope. On the news this morning, he's given the Vatican a blast. He said it's corrupt. 
or 15 points that has to change. I'm so, he's, he's going to do it. I think he's going to change it. I mean, he really is. I mean, is you know, as weird as this sounds, it's like he's trying to bring uh, Christianity back to religion. <laughs> like, well, exactly. He catches a bus. He catches a bus. He still lives in that same place. Yeah. He's he's spoken out, you know, positively, you know, towards you know, like particularly gay people and gay relationships. He's talked mm. about inequalities. Talked about the riches of the church. He won't wear the fancy robes. No one's exactly. allowed to wear their wear their fancy sunglasses. He's there's, I mean, there's a lot of good... You must be... It's been corrupt for a long time right. and totally useless to us people in the parishes. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all working away in parishes. They're beautiful and they're good and they're good priests and all that. And we get these stupid sort of epistles coming out of the Vatican saying you mustn't do this and you can't do that and that's wrong. Do they, do they piss you off? <laughs> Very funny. So it just has to go. It's, it's up, just corrupt at the core and has to be... It's kind of amazing he got elected, though, isn't it? Like, yeah. did they know that he was going to be this revolutionary? No. Because he really has come in and... Is I've that had the new Pepsi of Popes? He's like young and hip for the now generation. Young, I don't think, is he? How old is he? No. Well, I heard him. I heard a rumour that okay, the Vatican, go. like any other organisation, has hired like a marketing team to get behind him. And they're like, oh, yeah, they're telling him... True. They're telling him this is this, what you need to say to sound relevant, and this is what you know. Oh, these are the yeah. things you should be. I mean, but I think it all comes. I think they. I mean, well, I mean, again, this some of this is speculation. But if you watch the, the Jeffrey Robinson documentary, the hypothetical silence guy. in the house of God about the sex about abuse the in oh, no, in no. Ireland, oh. and it was about and the previous pope was in, ahead of the. Um, you know, looking after that corruption in the church. Yeah, so, Ratzinger. yeah, Ratzinger. So I think they were just, mm. it was a terrible time for the church and it's been a terrible time for the church worldwide. And I think they were like, well, our, we've got to get someone in who okay, brings yeah. Christians back to Christianity. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like talks about the things that Jesus talked about. Well, the church, when you go to mass, is still quite old, right? What do you mean old? Like the people who are at mass. Like oh, it's old people. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so we get lots of parents of the children, with children at the school. Right. And they'd be, what, in their 30s and 40s. Okay, but... They're there because they're parents, I think, of children. Right. So, but yeah, because when I would go to church, like, back on, like, you know, 20 years ago, you'd see a cross-section of teenagers, adults, old people. Yeah, no, you still get that, but there would be more old people. But the priest we've got, he's always sort of disliked the Vatican anyway, and has just ignored a lot of things that come out of it. And he's just brought people back because... They feel happy and relaxed, and it's a very friendly parish. And he's a good-looking, good-looking rebel who plays by his own rules. I don't know he's good-looking. <laughs> <laughs> Father, what's his name? Martin Dixon. Father Martin Dixon. If Father you're listening. Martin Dixon. To listen. Big shout out to Father Martin Dixon if you're listening. But I think that's that spirit. I mean, that's why I've always loved Father Bob Maguire so yeah. much because Same he's reason. Yeah, because he's like he a just, rebel he and he looks after the little yeah. persons and, he, and people. And he's like, yeah, I mean, what exactly? It's, it's, it's an interesting time. It must mm, be. It is invigorating. I would have thought. Well, it is now. I'd given up in despair. I thought mm. they're just getting worse and worse. But especially with the sexual abuse, you thought, right? Well, where's it going to go? You know. Doing nothing about it. Well, George Pell, especially, like he seems to have his head buried in the sand or something. Well, see, that's you. That should have been you, Charlie. Yes, you're that's meant to be the, the You should pope. have been our Aussie in the Vatican. You should be George Pell. Yeah, I. Uh, well, I was. I mean, I was into it. For me, 
being an altar boy was my first exposure to showbiz. Mm-hmm. Like that was being on stage for a lot that. of people. For me too. For, are you were you an altar boy as well? Yeah. Well, I was uh, I was in the choir and yeah, I did right. like you know all sorts of stuff around the church. I did some reading and stuff. You are performing. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the pageantry and you put on like wardrobe and there's like you know you hear the audience come in and stuff. So I was quite into that. Oh yeah, yeah. I, and I then swing the incensey thing. Yeah, time. yeah. I was pretty into that. that and was the, fun. and then we went. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do some tricks. Back down the way, guys. <laughs> then we went to um, see the Pope in 87. Remember Pope John Paul II came out? Yes. Well, I've... The Pope played Flemington. <laughs> I've gone right off him. He wasn't a good Pope. Well, not by, by, the, by the time he died, he I just lost his mind. sued if anyone hears this, aren't I? No, you can't be sued by a dead person. No. So that's fine. Uh, unless that's fine. Adam Sandler and Ghost Lawyer. But, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can't get sued. <laughs> no, you're fine. But he was, he, was, um, but he was a rock star pope as well. He was like the 80s pope. When he came at the Pope Medill, I mean, there must have been 200,000 people there. But I love even like this new pope is like, he's not even rocking around in the Pope Mobile. No, doesn't wear the... Just on a skateboard with a baseball cap on, <laughs> on backwards, just going through the Vatican. It's like King Ralph, at, uh, the Pope version. I'm just cycle. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Conserv- I'm con- concerned about climate change. Yeah. And with a red flag on a right. stick. <laughs> well, that's a bit communist. That sounds a bit communist to bloody pink, eh? So tell me about what happened when you saw Pope John Paul II then. He was at Flemington Racecourse. Is that yeah, what happened? Yeah, we were really into it then. And we all went out, you know, the children, and we all thought he was wonderful. But he was a great performer. He was an, had been an actor. Right. Oh, yes. Didn't you know that? Uh, he was like yeah. the Ronald Reagan of Popes. Like, yeah. you know, when they got the show. And he was Pope. good looking. Exactly. Yeah. You've got it right. He was good looking. Yeah. I mean, in Pope terms. <laughs> like, I mean. He was young. When he was young, he was. It's kind of you're like your 80s Batman. Like, people loved it at <laughs> yeah. the time. But now yeah. we're a bit more. Well, no, we want some more realistic stuff. We don't want it to be yeah. so. Exactly. Well, I remember they Marvel magazine. Was it Marvel or maybe DC released a Pope comic book, which was all about his backstory. Like, you know, because he was a soldier in the Second World War. Oh, okay. To his rise of being the Pope. And so... It had like he had a real marketing push, and he literally did play to two hundred thousand people at Flemington. Like he, I remember him coming by, and we all had like merch, you know, you right. bought little like Vatican flags, and you had like commemorative rosary beads and stuff. So like they made a killing on merch, right? And then he performed a mass in front of two hundred thousand people, and mass is fucking hard enough when it's like you, you know, three hundred people in a church, let alone you know doing it. I mean, how did we even get the uh, communion? That would have just what taken do you get forever. Crowds like that, you get a different electric atmosphere, don't you? It doesn't matter what it is well it's kind of funny though that it's mass because it's like i don't know i mean yeah i agree when you get into like that festival vibe (laughs) it's like being at the big day out it's the big catholic day out yeah 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 it's pope first it's pope palooza it was it was exactly pope palooza but he um he was he yeah i guess he was good looking he had a kind of like he's like a parkinson he's like the parkinson of popes you know the charming older man kind of thing going on. But then he just turned into, didn't he have a stroke or something? And he was all like... No, but he started coming up with some awful, well, I thought were ridiculous statements about people. And he had this thing about Mary and the Marianology and he kept all these saints. I think he brought blessed something like the thousand saints. Well, he's just he's tossing out sainthoods like that. Yeah, and he was set up for sainthood and I don't think he should be one. Right. But I think that was why he was tossing around so many at the time, wasn't he? He was like going, well, we'll give well, everyone one. And then like by the time I roll around, I'm going to get to be a saint as well. Is that what it was? I reckon it brought money into the Vatican. Oh, that's true. Whenever you had a, uh, someone blessed and a saint, mm. it cost the community a lot of money. Why? 
I don't know. Well, all the ev- I, I bet it's all like the events, events and, and stuff, yeah. and, and like I bet they don't send you money to pay no. for it. All. You have to do it all no, yourself. Am I crazy in thinking that to become a saint you have to have proven miracles? Who? I'm going to go to hell if anyone listens to this. No, no, no. This is good. This is exactly well, the only. This per- is exactly the sort of thing the new pope's encouraging. <laughs> we are talking about and I'm, discussing in a vibrant way. That I'm pretty sure God doesn't have iTunes. Look, so. I just want to get back to basics. It's in the cloud. <laughs> it's all in the cloud. <laughs> It's all a very simple story. Right. Yeah. And let's just get back to it. Like even with Christmas, it's just like a birthday. It's someone's birthday, a fantastic day, birthday. Mm-hmm. And even though a lot of people don't believe in that, they've, they, they've got the best out of it by just getting together as families and giving each other presents and, and that's good. That's a, like a, a The community of, aspect. Well, that's what I've always said. Right. That, I don't know why it doesn't matter because they're getting the benefit of that. Well, you, you can possibly have been like with the amount of gay children that you've produced, like, like by the letter, one of Austra- percentage-wise, one of Australia's leading producers of gay children. <laughs> Absolutely. What- by, by the letter of the, the law and Catholicism, like you, you're, you're part of the problem. So like you can't possibly believe in the doctrine of the church wholeheartedly. Like you have adapted it to, you've got out of it what you want, which is it's a great community, right? Absolutely, yes. I've just ignored a lot of the things and, Yeah. So I've seen the goodness. There is gold there, and that's what I go with. Right. So can you talk to me about how your faith changed over the years? Like, is, has it changed? Yes. Or? Yes. Oh, gosh, it's changed many, many times. I was um, conditioned to start with at primary yep. school. Just listen to what the Irish nuns and priests mm. were telling us. Um, never questioned it. Then when I was a teenager, I didn't like what they were saying, but was a bit sort of scared about breaking the rules. And then when we were married and we went to marriage encounter, that was that looks like that Leonard Bernstein musical, You Are the Church. You know, it was suddenly it was all thrown like in his musical, he takes the host mm. and throws it into the crowd. Right. And Marriage Encounter Weekend was all about telling us it's not the buildings and the churches and the Vatican, right. it's the people. Yeah. And we hadn't sort of really thought that through. Mm. And that So what are we talking seventies? That was the 70s. Yeah, very much the 70s. There's a lot of things going on. 68, 70. Yeah. Vatican II, yeah. all this. Yeah, such marriage that's that, came from Vatican. So Vatican II is when they yeah. stopped doing churches in, uh, ch- masses in Latin yeah. and it was a much more progressive attitude towards Catholicism. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it was including the Vatican people. II, this time it's personal. That's right. <laughs> and that was terrific. They'd got this terrific projection set off from Vatican II. Yeah. And then that Pope died. And then the success of popes started pulling up the drawbridges and closing the shops. They didn't like it. The curia did not like the people. They don't like the people. Mm. That's what it boiled down to. And they just made it really hard for us. Well, that's why it becomes problematic with all leadership when they forget who it is that actually exactly. pays their bills. It can be. We, we saw it on a very local micro level this year. There was a lot of problems with the AFL because the fans of the AFL felt like the people at the top had forgotten about ticket prices and looking after the people who actually go to the games mm. and support it. And you see it on a, 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 today with our frustration with politics in Australia. I think it's that people feel like the people at the top are only in it for their own needs and aren't looking after mm. ordinary people. And so in any major organisation, when you forget to think about the people who are actually the, I guess, the, the people. Right. right, yeah. It's, it's, it's just the old saying, power corrupts. It right. does. Well, special interest groups corrupt, I think. That is the issue. Well, is that when... Can corrupt, yeah. a better way of saying can. it. But, uh, but that's right. Power can corrupt. They get this taste for it and don't want to lose their position. I, um, we uh, did a live show a couple of nights ago and uh, it's become a fixture that I read from my uh, journal that I kept in India. 
And I was reading through it, and it's really interesting seeing a 17-year-old having a crisis of faith. Like, it's quite earnest in, you know, the sense that I think I was moving. For me, it was almost like believing in Santa Claus. Like, you wanted this thing to be real because, it, you know, it would be so great to think that nice idea if it is. Yeah. yeah. But then, like you, when you're at the same age, it sounds like I just am going through that period of, but it can't possibly be real. Like, there is too much contradiction in the world. Like, there's too much sadness and there's too much awful things to be going on for me to believe that someone is guiding or has a plan for all of this. But then it's not what it's about for you, is it? No. Well, as I've gone through all those stages and then with marriage, and then I got interested in all the scriptures and reading. Then I want to read about all religions. So I was really on about religions for a long time. But now in my 80s, as you know, I've just turned 80, it's all refined down to one thing and it's unity. It's about we're all one, everything's all one. And it's it's like an illusion to separate ourselves. We try and separate ourselves because it's sort of how we survive in a way. Yeah. But but we're all one. And even, you know, that what was happening with the siege in Sydney and the other terrible stories we've been hearing this week, well, they're all part of us and we're all part of that. So as in, like, it's symptomatic of our society. If that manifests, then it's not, it doesn't happen in isolation. It's because of what, every, what else is going, going on everywhere else? I can't really explain except that we're all one. Right. I, I, I would, I mean, I have some, like, I, I have my own thoughts that are probably somewhere in this area about that which is, it's all, like, everything that happened in that siege is all of us as well. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, the terrible person, the, mm. the, you know, the, the fact that we don't, A, look after people with mental illness, B, then that people can use, you know, that religion, even if they're not you know, understanding that religion, they can use those things to make a point, that we have violence in our, inside us, that people misinterpret things, that people won't be open to other people's things. But then that idea of just being human beings going to Lint and then the community later, it, the massive outpouring mm. of love and emotion. I mean, in some ways, unreasonable emotion. Mm. And I don't mean this in a bad or disrespectful way, but two people... Two, two people died, two innocent people mm-hmm. died, and, and then the, the gunman died in that situation. Um, a, a woman dies a week uh, in a domestic violence situation in Australia. Mm. Now, all those flowers, it was beautiful and it was us. And I, I don't think any of that was not genuine. Like, you know, but at the same time, all of that's us. In, it, exactly. All of that. Like, and the woman who's getting killed by her domestic partner is us as well. That's right. And that's why when we talk about things like feminism or when we talk about rights for people, then you can't just leave them to the people who need the rights or That's need to right. fight for the rights because it's always all of our... Well, it's a sort of paradox. It's really hard to... Like, it, the temptation is to, we want to separate ourselves from those who do, we, you want to call it evil. Right. We want to separate. We don't want to... We're saying, I'm not like that. I wouldn't... No. But what really worries us is we know we are. We are. We are all the one, yeah. yeah. So I think anything we... Anyone can do to make us united or create union anywhere, mm. any, just the smile or anything or the, the big action, um, anything that contributes, like those people bring the flowers, as you right. say. Um, you don't sort of analyse it. It's just they wanted to love. They wanted to do something. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with you. It's, it's actually really it, – sometimes I don't think it matters. No. Like it, it, I saw someone in the paper complaining. They were saying, well, they could have sent the money to blah, blah, no, blah. And I was no. like, no. This was like a city saying we're not that. Yeah. Well, we are that, obviously, but we're more this. But we're really We want sorry. to say we're this. We're really sorry. Yeah. Do you know I've got one silly idea about all that? I wish, you know, I love the idea of people leaving flowers, but I wish they wouldn't wrap them. I wish people would oh, just yeah, throw yeah. fresh flowers yeah. 
you know, when Princess Diana died or any of those, mm. you get all this pile of cellophane. Right. Yeah. And the idea, you know, in sort of many countries, they just have fresh flowers mm. they'd throw on towards people. Yeah, I think there was a combination of both. Well, I, I think it's just people wanted to, it's more about a gesture, making a gesture. I was really amazed by the way Sydney responded. I thought it was like so positive and beautiful. Like I was, I mean, I think there was a... And that's not something necessarily, because we both, you know, have lived in Sydney for various periods of our life and yeah. we both do at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I consider it my adopted city. I've been there for 15 years. But I didn't know if Sydney was capable of that. Yeah, me either. I thought Sydney was a little bit too superficial for that. And it was really lovely to see the city, yeah. like, genuinely. It wasn't an organised thing. It wasn't, like, it just happened. Yeah. Like, I remember seeing the photo on the first day of one bunch of flowers there and then like three days later that m amazing photo where the whole thing was covered in mm. in flowers and i i did think it was like i i, I was unexpected of sydney i've got to say yeah i mean I, th I always i always think that i tend to underestimate australia as well and just how compassionate australians are like i think because of that sort of egalitarian and she'll be right kind of attitude that you forget that there's actually some really sensitive like we're actually a sensitive society and we're so sheltered from that kind of i mean there are countries where stuff like that happens all the time, right. all the time. Of course, you know, and when it happens here, oh, I mean, it was such two, a shock. two days later in, you know, in that school shooting in, in Pakistan. Pakistan, where like you know, 130 kids died. Like, I mean, we we must be very glad we don't live in that world. Tell me about the world. Tell me about how you feel the world has changed. Like, you know, what are the kind of major things just in your mind? Like, yeah, it doesn't have to be a definitive oh. answer. But what are the things that you've liked that have changed, and maybe some of the things that you you know you miss or you, you wish that we hadn't sort of changed? Well, with the risk of being really superficial, the food's much better. Yeah. No, 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 I agree, right? <laughs> and not only is it better, but it's easy to access, you mm. know. I used to make everything, cooked everything. I don't know whether I was that good at cooking. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> to save money. Don't listen back to some and previous episodes. And I can't episodes. believe, and now I think, no, I don't have to cook that. I can just go and buy it. They'll, right. What yeah, I yeah. buy is nicer than anything I can make. So, so that's terrific. No, but that is absolutely right. I mean, I even remember when I first started doing stand-up and I would tour, you know, country towns. And if you ordered a salad, it would definitely have a pineapple ring and a craft single in it. That was like a salad. And now you can go on the road and you can be in cans and get a halloumi salad in a pub. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, all that. Um, What's the, oh, the digital age, which is fantastic, except I feel I'm lagging behind a bit. I'm can, still trying to learn it. Is that hard? Yes, mm. it is hard because I don't use it enough. Like I think if you're doing something and you keep doing it, that's how you learn. Well, let's just check off. So you're on Skype? Yes. Oh, you're, that's You're on good. Facebook? Yes. Twitter? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Instagram? No. Um, okay. But I can text. And, and you've got a mobile, then you've got an iPod? Yes. Well, you're pretty good for 80 years old. That's I've got to be like... honest with you. That's pretty much what I've got. <laughs> I, I, I only recently got Instagram. I'm only just ahead of you. <laughs> My 80-year-old mother and Will right. <laughs> have the same relationship to technology. Maybe she should do the microphones I next should, time. Yeah, I should have handed it over to you and got you to set it up. <laughs> that would have been much better. I no idea how to do anything. And I really, I have to thank you and... My children helping with all the technology. Well, I guess you know. I mean, the but you, you want. You, I mean, I think there's also something about you wanting to keep engaged. Like it was yeah, always yeah. one of those things that you. Because I can imagine there's a point. Like I always think. In, I, th I, I think it often now. now. <laughs> yeah, where I'm just too. like, oh, I don't understand these young people. I'm just going to give up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, can we uh, talk about the big C? Of cancer. Yes. No, no, me, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, the big C. That's what he calls it. So how many years ago now? It was you... two years ago. Yeah. 
diagnosed with breast cancer, terrible shock, couldn't stop crying. Remember I told you about it and I was crying yeah. before I'd even had the second test? Yeah, mum basically put herself, started making funeral arrangements when she got the news. Like she has a book group that she meets with once a week. Right. She announced to all of them that she had cancer, gave them all like a tearful farewell. And then when the news wasn't as bad as she thought, I had to turn up the next week <laughs> and be like, oh, I'm sticking around for a bit, guys. Well, the funny thing is actually it was worse because the breast cancer, you know, had the, all the operations and found, well, there's no point trying to cure you because you've got it everywhere in your body. It's in my liver and in my bones. But the good thing about that was the thing I was fearing was going on chemotherapy and, you know, people get so sick and lose their hair. Mm. So I didn't have to do any of that. Oh, yeah, because they were just... Because no, I can't right. cure it. Mm. So I'm, I've been on tablets and now I'm on a clinical trial and taking tablets each day, which do have side effects. Mm. But just, it was fantastic to know... Suddenly, I was going to die. The worst thing was having to tell my children. I thought, they're going to lose the only mother they've ever had, mm. <laughs> someone who knows them better than well, anyone yeah, else. Roseanne. So that was the most painful part to have it to tell you, and I knew, knew you're all in tears. But since then, I, I thought, what am I worried about? I'm going to die any minute. Mm. So I went out and bought a car. <laughs> I bought a new lounge and suite. I'm worried about money. I yeah. never worry about money now. Yeah. I don't worry. Yeah. And I love everything. Just before, just to maybe, just maybe worry a little bit about money. I mean, you know, you don't want to, don't want to spend it all. Just. Uh... <laughs> oh, Charlie, you're the ninth down, mate. You're not getting anything. <laughs> Let your mum enjoy her stuff. <laughs> and I'm enjoying myself all the time. And each time, I'm always thinking, "Gosh, this is another really good day." Oh, God, I have some Pollyanna, don't I? No, that's a, I mean, I think that's a really I, great uh, insight. It was a gift in that I yep. learned to appreciate everything I was taking for granted. Mm. And, you know, Matthew was coming down to stay with his dogs for three weeks and people were saying, oh, well, you can't stay with your mother that long. You know, I really enjoy, I don't care how many people come and stay and they can stay as long as they like because everything's good. Mm. So is it that thing of perspective? Like, did, I mean, do you actually, you took stock? Oh, yes, I just realised what was important, which is, of course, relationships. Well, you, said, you said to me one night we were talking, and it was before we went to see the oncologist, and you were talking about thinking about your life and that you were satisfied. Like, you're like, well, these things, you know, I have good relationships with my kids, I have good, and I, I like where I live, you know, relatively. Because the thing about mum, too, is even though she has this cancer, you wouldn't know it. Like, no. you know, she still cycles how many times a week? Twice a week, too. Four hours a week. Yeah, and you know oh, she goes wow. to the gym and she does all this stuff. She she's so it's almost like she's been told she has this disease mm. by doctors, but she doesn't feel like she has the disease. Ah, but I had things set in place because I was already have been cycling for five years, and I've been meditating twice a day for twenty years. Ah, uh, now talk to me about that because I'm fascinated by meditation uh, and it's something I think I would like to do. If I could convert the world to meditate, I reckon I'd be really happy. Get her! I'm, I'm trying to get all my children to do it and they're all doing it in bits and pieces and trying and s stopping and starting. Yeah. But it's been the best thing ever. It's just simply sitting in silence for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon. And I say a mantra because it's to hold my mind still right. so I'm not thinking. Not thinking. And you don't feel anything different when you're meditating or even when you get up afterwards. You're probably thinking, oh, I can't stay here. I've got to really all these things to do. But just if you stay... But it pays off during your day and in the time afterwards things fall into place you make the phone call at the right time you do everything just seems to be in harmony right. talk to me so about what, like for you what your um do you sit down do you yes. 
and do you sit on the ground or do you sit on a chair? I used to sit cross-legged. Mm-hmm. These days I just sit in the chair. The point is to make sure you're comfortable so you're not distracted yep. by discomfort. And then you just, you, I mean, then you just try to breathe and then get into your mantra. Is that how it works? You, you how, how do you, what's your process? You can't, you need to sit. You need mm-hmm. your spine straight for some reason. I think maybe because you might fall asleep if you're in uh-huh. too comfortable. Um, close your eyes simply so you're not distracted. Mm. You can think of your breathing if you want to, but it's the simplest thing. There's nothing to it. It's just say a mantra. You can say, yeah, something that doesn't have an image or right. thought. Yeah, you could just say a sound. Um, so it's merely when the saints go marching in. Is there something a, happens no, when you you're can't not, do that because that'll depress you. Yeah. That's not meditative. <laughs> if you're not thinking and you don't have images in your head, something else happens. I don't know what it is, but something changes. What's your What's your mantra? Maranatha. Maranatha. And I think it's meant to mean come Lord Jesus or something, but I don't think that. I just listen to that sound in my head. Maranatha. And what happens when, like, because this is what I, and I imagine after you've been doing it for so long, maybe this doesn't happen as much, but the minute I would start to do that, all the other start, thoughts would immediately start to try to yes, burst their way in. They do, and, and let them come in, but look at the thoughts. Stand back and observe the thoughts and go back to your mantra. That's interesting. The way I've been, because I, I do this voice uh, breathing uh, class with this uh, voice and body coach, and she, the way she describes it to me is like you can't stop the thoughts rushing in, but what you don't do is freeze frame any of the thoughts. You let the thoughts wash through your head. Yes. And you allow them to come, but you don't analyze or look at them. You just, it's like a, it's a river washing by, just images and thoughts, images and thoughts, images and thoughts until it becomes just a sort of white noise of nothing. I haven't got to that point yet, but that's the way she described it to me. I haven't quite done it. I don't know how to, I've got to learn how to breathe before I can learn how to meditate. Why don't I breathe? I blame that on you. Is that a genetic thing? Don't worry about breathing. (laughs) <laughs> That's probably why you don't breathe. Wasn't a high priority in her parenting. Like you got to eat, and you got to go to the bathroom. Look, to breathing. be honest, breathing will look after itself. If you can walk and talk, that's enough for me. Mate, people have been breathing since the start of time, and not many of them have thought about it. No. If you have to think about breathing, then that's your <laughs> issue. <laughs> exactly. I don't actually know where. Well, I do know. I went and saw a therapist to discuss where it may have come from, and she thinks it's to do with you know losing dad at a young age that uh, I had an anxiety uh, trigger put in my head at, at a very young age. And so then, from then on, when I got into any situation that was, you know, where I would feel anxious, that the 10-year-old in me mm-hmm. would get con- get behind the controls and he would be like, you know, like your world's about to... So, so as an adult, what it's become about for me is differentiating um, when that is an appropriate response, that kind of, you know, gut-wrenching fear, or when it's just a... Uh, 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 it's not it's not warranted because that was the problem is you know I would um, miss a miss a miss a train or something like that and I'd have the same level of anxiety as if you know my life was actually in danger but I thought it was really interesting because she was saying a lot of the a lot of the emotions we exhibit as adults are hardwired as kids like we all go through something normally it's like a death in the family or some major disappointment or loss of innocence and that kind of dictates how we how we relate to other adults I think it's about, as you know, about being aware, like you've described all that. Well, if you know what you're feeling, and you maybe you just have to take that minute and stop thinking, what am I feeling? Where's it coming from? Then you take control. It's such a great insight, though, because like I've been uh, recently, I realised that, because I'm not 
a particularly angry person. Like I would say most of the time I'm relaxed. But if I get frustrated, it can all kind of burst out because of the nature of I'm not most of the time. And I realized the times I was getting stressed at people where I didn't want to be. You know, it was always my thing is time. So if I was running late, yeah, you know, right. suddenly I'm angry at the person in front of me who's not driving properly or suddenly I'm angry at the person on the footpath or I'm angry at the person who's taking up my time with that extra mm-hmm. because I didn't have my time. And once I started being aware of that, going, yes. oh, this is why you are angry. Yes. It was, uh, okay. And I've started doing this thing now, which is, so say, let's just use a really simple example of like traffic. I'm running late. Mm-hmm. I'm in the car and I'm running late. Mm-hmm. And well, I may be running late. You know, I don't even know if I am running late yet, you know, but the traffic's bad and whatever. I've, I, instead of getting angry and frustrated and going, I'm going to be late, I've been doing this thing where I'm going, okay, everything that's going to make you late or not late has already happened. Like it's already in process. You can't go back and start, leave earlier again. Yeah, yeah. So don't get angry. Like yeah. it'll work out how yeah. it works out that's and great. you'll deal with it when it, yeah. being so, present in, and aware in that moment. You're your own therapist. Right. I can't afford a real one. So <laughs> I can tell you a joke about that. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> Paddy had, was rushing to an appointment in the car, got to the city, Collins Street, and couldn't find a park anywhere. He just had to be at this appointment on time. And he says, oh, Lord, find me a parking spot. You know? And, of course, sure enough, parking spot appears. And Paddy says, oh, don't worry, I found one. <laughs> <laughs> and now you can see that I'm just a chip off the old block. That's a good religious joke. I like that. But I, it goes back to even that idea of what you were talking about in the marriage thing. Of like Part of that is about acknowledging what it was. that Why did you yell at Charlie? Was it because you were you know, frustrated and he did this thing or I was angry or I was running late or this thing happened or I didn't get my... And I think that a lot of the time we, we act before we recognize where the emotions are coming yeah. from. The amount of times that you, you know, you're yelling at someone at work and you go, oh... Oh, sorry, this is not about you at all. Oh. This is a whole other thing that, like, you're not the person I should be yelling at. I'm so sorry about this. Well, I think we're all, I think fear is a, dictates a lot of what happens in our life because, A, I think we're all scared that we're, well, I feel like everyone's got it figured out and I'm just an imposter and that someone, I'm going to be discovered one day that I don't actually know what the hell I'm doing in life. Right. Just everything, professionally, in my life or whatever. So I live well, in... Well, I mean, in your case, that probably is true. <laughs> but for most other people, I think that's a common feeling, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Well, I don't know. I mean, I just, I feel like the anger that I, the road rage that I get or when I'm running late, because I do the same thing where I know that I have to leave by a certain time. I, I miss that. And then I get in the car frustrated and angry and trying to make up the time the whole way. But I think it's all out of a fear that, you know, I can't just explain myself. You know what I mean? Like, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that hard to call work and say, oh, you know what, I'm actually running 15 minutes late. I would rather berate myself in a car for 20 minutes than actually address the situation. And Gemma is actually very good at that. Gemma is very good at not looking back. Like, if we get into a situation where things are bad, Rather than complain about it, Jim was like, well, this is just how it is now. Right. Okay. So we can um and ah and work out how we could have done things better, or we can just deal with the problem that's in front of us, which I think is like, I don't know, it, it's, for me, it's fear. It's all about, you know, not wanting, either not wanting to take responsibility or, you know, being worried about if I take responsibility, how that's going to make me look. All right. Well, we, um, your mum has something to do and we should, like, we're getting towards the end of the hour, so we should yeah. finish this up. How, how, how have you found it? What, this morning? Yeah. Fun. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Come again. Oh, yeah. Well, why don't you start your own podcast? Yeah. <laughs>
Well, I mean, you know how to do everything else. I'm sure you can load a podcast on the internet, but if your mum has a better podcast than us and it sounds better, that's going to be really bad for our reputation. Um, so is this uh, this is a, this is our Christmas Day bonus, isn't it? Yeah, this is going to so be So we should uh, we should wish all our listeners a very merry Christmas and a happy new year. I hope you get a BMX. BMX? Is that well, no, what's the best present you ever got? Uh, oh, is that the BMX, best best present you I ever think got? so, yeah. Do you remember that red BMX you got me with the checkerboard? Okay. Obviously meant more to Did me than you. No, it was good. It was the best present I ever got. Yeah, you were fine with bikes. You just couldn't, yeah. yeah. To be honest, it wasn't a it wasn't a, a new BMX. I think you bought it off the Hesses and then you repainted it and put like new tires and padding on it and stuff. It was still cool though. It was right. still the best present I ever got. I didn't, I remember, I just took it for a ride in my pajamas, six in the morning, took it over to Elswick Park, went to the BMX track, six in the morning. What, uh, did the kids believe in Santa? Were they Santa kids? Were you a Santa oh, family? Oh, yes, yes. Well, Christmas was a big deal. I thought just because oh, they come from a big operation. family, they shouldn't miss out on presents. So right. they all had pillowcases full of presents. Oh, I loved the pillowcase full of presents. Oh, I forgot about that until now. Christmas morning, waking so up and the entire pillowcase is full. With something. But can you imagine for mum and dad, literally, like you've got a bunch of kids who are so excited right. about Christmas. So you finally get them to bed and then you get to face the next five hours of wrapping and hiding freaking I mean, presents. Because that's it. Like, I mean, if you have one or two kids, you can kind of probably put it in one room and do it as... But you've got like nine kids. They're all spies. Like... <laughs> How do you keep that military operation going? Oh, yes. Well, we did have some hidden cupboards behind wardrobes and things. Right. <laughs> um, like, like Bruce Wayne. But like, also, yeah. just to add to it, it was Norman's birthday on the 24th. Oh, yeah. And he said, oh, nobody ever took notice of my birthday mm. when I was growing up. You know, it was, this is your present for Christmas and birth. So I had to make, I did, chose to make a special event of his uh. birthday as well. So I would go out, I'd get him a present, would have a cake, would go out to dinner. When we got back from dinner... Half, yes. Half we then had all these. I was going, and then we had all these presents to sort out and things that weren't working and trying oh, to assemble things and assembling and building stuff. I remember. And then the first little voice would be at five in the morning. Mom, look what I've got. We hear Russell, yeah. Russell, Russell. Russell look what I've got. Yeah, like, I've been, I've been, been in bed for fifteen <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Don't take that transformer, someone else. (laughs) Not only that, but we've also left out like some stale bread cheese sandwiches and a glass of milk that they have to eat as well. (laughs) But I remember remember when asking you like straight out whether or not Santa Claus Uh. existed. And you did not let me down easy. I was like, I was. I remember, I was all upset because some kids. How old were you? Seven, eight. Yeah, probably eighteen, nineteen. Yep. <laughs> now, I think it just finishing graduation. <laughs> probably would have been seven or eight. I remember saying some of the kids at school have been saying that Santa Claus doesn't exist. Is that true? And you were like, no, nah, absolutely not. It's me and your dad. Like, because you're like, thank God. <laughs> thank God. We're, we're getting the last one here. I've been dreaming of this day more <laughs> yeah. than you graduating high school. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's right. I remember that. I was relieved because yeah. it was so hard to keep up the pretense. I know. <laughs> but you didn't even let me down gently. You didn't. It's not like you took me into your arms and sat me down and very gently explained it. You're like, nah, it doesn't exist. Let's move on. Yeah. Next. Oh, thank God I'm sleeping in Christmas morning. Here's a brushes voucher. All right, Mum, thank you very much for being on this show. Absolutely my pleasure. It's been fantastic. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. <laughs> 